If you would, turn to the Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, that's where we've been. Today we're going to look at verses 12 through 13. When I moved to Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky in 2003, it was to attend the Southern Baptist Seminary here. I'm thankful for that school. I graduated from there in 2006. It's a good school, and I got a lot of great memories from there. I got my master's degree from there. Learned a lot about what it means to be in the ministry and to live a faithful life to the Lord Jesus, obedient to the Great Commission. Again, I'm thankful for my time there. I got a lot of good memories. One of them is that I would go to chapel. In seminary, they had chapel, I think, once or twice a week, and it was optional. You didn't have to go, but... I enjoyed going. It was good music and great preaching, and so I, I went as often as I could. The seminary's chapel is this big, huge, long chapel, but there is a balcony that goes all the way around the top. And so, so in theory, if the person that's preaching right here, you know, people can sit close like that, but if you're in the balcony, I mean, it almost seems like you can sit like right there. Perhaps the closest you can get to the, to the pulpit in the seminary chapel is to go all the way to the far edge in the balcony, and I, I like to do that. That's where I would sit a lot of time. When you're up top there, you can kind of spy on everybody, and you can see who's falling asleep or in their Bible or, or paying attention or not paying attention, and, and I would do that as well. But one of, the things that, one of the things that I noticed, there was a professor who, to every chapel, brought his wife and kids. I don't know what their lives were or where they should have been. Perhaps they were... Um, at home or homeschooled or something like that because they were able to come to chapel, which is pretty random, but they were always there. And I mean every chapel, they'd sit in the very middle and they had three kids and their kids would sit there up straight, Bible in their lap for the hour, hour and a half service and pay attention the entire time. I was single at the time, and I thought, how in the world does that happen? About a year later, Val moved up and started going to seminary too, and one of the things I wanted her to see was that. And so we went up into the balcony together, and we sat there, and we looked down, and we would just stand in awe of this family that somehow, mysteriously, magically, supernaturally could get their kids to sit there and pay attention. And I thought to myself, wow, you don't see that too much. But I knew enough then to know that didn't just happen, right? That didn't just happen. There had been some effort, some working, some training, some discipline, some punishment, even if you will. I don't know that for sure. But something behind the scenes had really gone in to create that sort of a posture, attitude, obedience. Today's passage in Philippians chapter 2 is the Apostle Paul writing to the church about them to be an obedient church. They are to be people that obey God. Now, they are not to first think of their obedience in a one-on-one -on -one perspective where they are thinking individually about their relationship with God. They are not to be hearing this letter like we're here today, and therefore you are not to be hearing this letter like we're here today and think, well, well I do obey God. I mean, I know I got some things that I'm working on, but I do try to obey God and I want to obey God. It's not individual. 
Remember that what we have all, what we have read so far, that he is writing to the church that they would be united, that they would be in this together, that they would be linked up, that their obedience then would be a collective obedience, that the church would be obedient. It's easy for us to say, okay, God says do not take the Lord's name in vain. I don't take his name in vain, and so I'm an obedient person. Now, that is, a, that is Bible teaching, but that's not today's sermon. Today's sermon is, are we an obedient church? Knowing that the church is the people. So when I say, are we an obedient church, you should be thinking, well, is Josh obedient and am I obedient? Are those people over there obedient or are those people over there obedient? Are we obedient together? When they need me, am I obedient to God? And when I need them, are they obedient to God? It is a collective church considering their obedience. Read with me, if you will, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is a great passage. It's one that people are familiar with. It is the passage that says, work out your salvation. A lot of people get distracted by this. Folks, we are not saved by works. Let me just go ahead and get that out of the way early. We are not saved by works. There is nothing you can do to bring yourself into a right relationship with God. There is nothing you can do on your own effort whereby God would say, hey, you're pretty good. Doesn't work that way. Our sins have separated us from God, and even our best efforts fall short of the glory of God. Obedience to God must first come from the heart and then must be acted out correctly. There is no obedience to God apart from a heart that loves God. Well, how do we get there? Nobody loves God rightly until their sins have been forgiven and their heart has been made new to love and treasure God. In short, you need Jesus. You need to understand that God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you and it is through Jesus that you come into a right relationship with God. Nobody looks to God, believes in God, trusts God and has their focus on God until they are in Christ. Jesus died for us to remove the sin, remove the hostility, remove the judgment of God so that God doesn't look at us and see disobedient people. God looks at us and see the obedience of Christ. God sees the obedience of Jesus when he looks at us because that's what we're clinging to. We are believing in Jesus. If you're not here today, if you're here today and you've not settled in your life that that is your treasure, the faithfulness and obedience of Jesus, then perhaps you are not yet saved. You are not yet a Christian. You are not a follower of God because you're not trusting in the work of Christ. Jesus is how we get right with God. And when we get our heart right with God, like we just love God and we just trust God and we are settled on that, then out of that is when and then and only then can we consider are we obedient. I'm not asking today if you do good things and bad things. I'm not asking you today to whip out the Ten Commandments and see how many you follow. I'm asking if your heart desires to obey Christ. Does your heart want to obey God? Do you feel that? Do you wrestle with that? Are you bothered by that when you are not obedient? Are you convicted of that? 
Do you often pray to God asking him to have forgiveness for you, to give you forgiveness because of your disobedience? Are you aware of your disobedience? Do you admit your disobedience? This is the type of thing that he is uh, talking about to the Philippian church. My first point today is there is an obedient church. He tells the Philippians they are obedient. Look what he says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. How encouraging is it that the apostle who is not there writes a letter to them and says he loves them, he calls them beloved, his dear children, his people, his body, his family of Christ, his church family, as you always obeyed. Obedience is so refreshing. And to hear him tell them that they always obey is so cool. It really is attention grabbing. It causes you to stop for a second. Oh, you mean, you mean not a church that's like always disobeying and yet trying to trust in Jesus for forgiveness? You mean not that? You mean a church that obeys? Well, that's what he says. He knows them to be an obedient church, and he's encouraging them to be an obedient church. He knows them to be those who know what God's expectations are, and then he is encouraging them to continue walking and, and even striving in those expectations. I use the word striving a lot because that's the very word he uses in verse 27 of chapter 1, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He knows them to be obedient and striving to God. But he brings up this important issue that he knew they obeyed when he was around. And he wants them to keep obeying now that he's not around. And if we're being honest, right, sometimes when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? You're probably sharper at work when the boss is there, right? And yet I want today to challenge you that if your heart is set on God, that you would desire to be an obedient church first and foremost because you love God. That we would be an obedient church because we love God. That our obedience is not dependent upon if y'all see it or if you don't. Or the fear of being disobedient and therefore what would the fallout be? but rather we obey God because we love him. Paul sounds here like a parent who is trying to pass off his children from dependence to independence. All right, I've been taking care of you long enough. You're going to have to start learning to make your bed. Right? That type of a thing is what this sounds like. I used to be there with you and you obeyed, but now I'm not with you and I want you to keep obeying. We could go on and on with how real this is to us. I hear people say that when the pastor's out of town, they don't have to go to church nearly as much. I hear people say that if certain people were to leave the church, then they might have to leave the church. We act like our obedience comes from different directions than simply a faith in God. Either we walk by faith or we walk by sight, and one of those is to the glory of God, and one of those is not, right? 
Either we walk by faith or we walk by sight. Sight means I'll obey depending on how I think it looks or affects me or benefits me or whatever. Faith is I believe in him, how much he loves me, and I'll obey no matter whether you like it or not. I'm going to be an obedient person regardless of what the fallout is. And he knows them to be an obedient people. You know what I hear a lot? I hear a lot of people talk about their divorce and their marriage breaking up being okay because the the kids were out of the house now didn't affect them as much. You've heard that a lot of times, haven't you? It's okay for us to really not love each other anymore because it won't affect the kids as bad. They're grown. We hear that sort of a thing. Folks, we need to make sure that we understand obedience to be out of the heart because we love God. Take this to heart. He had just entered into this letter, the Christ hymn. If you were here last week, you remember that. Do you remember that awesome example of the obedient Jesus? Look at Philippians chapter two. And look right there at verse eight. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Does everybody see that? To the point of death, even death on a cross. It's not that Jesus was obedient most of the time. It's not that Jesus was obedient in in so many sacrificial moments. It's that Jesus obeyed God completely and fully and totally through and through till the end. Jesus was able to come to literally his last breaths, dying breath, and say, it is finished, masterful, complete perfection of obedience to God Almighty in the plan that he has given me. Christ is obedient. And if the obedience of Christ is the only thing that will make you right with God, his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, then your love for him produces in you obedience. We know this. Oh, we know this. And yet today we need to be reminded that we are not saved by our obedience. We are saved by Christ and his obedience. But in understanding that our love for God, because he first loved us, is such a life-changing thing, then there will be obedience. We are to be people that obey. In the Gospel of John, with Jesus' teaching, in chapter 14, Jesus' teaching of the Holy Spirit. When you trust in Christ and you finally get saved and you turn to God for the forgiveness of sins and you cry out to God in repentance saying, God, forgive me of my sins, God will forgive you. And the Bible says that it is then that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, empowering you, enabling you to believe. And when somebody has the Holy Spirit inside of them, Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will obey me. The Bible says that. Jesus himself says that. If you love me, because of the Spirit causing you to know how much I love you, you will obey me. In the very next chapter, John chapter 15, Jesus is now teaching on the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He goes on to say that apart from me, you can do nothing. Literally, the, the vine is the source to the branches, right? If there is no vine, then the branches will not have life. And it is in that very passage again where we are the branches and he is the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That he says, if you know me and love me, you will obey me. Jesus teaches obedience to him not because it gets us anywhere, not because it earns us anything. He teaches it cannot earn you anything for our sins have separated us, but he teaches that obedience is such a real part of Christianity because it flows out of the love that we have for God. And the love that we have for God flows out of the love that God has for us. And so we are to be 
obedient. Like I was talking about, I recognize that in seminary chapel. You don't see three kids acting so obediently and think to yourself, wow, aren't those just the greatest kids? I wonder how they got like that. You don't. Anybody with common sense knows something worked to get them that way. And the Bible is teaching us that the work of God inside of us creates a desire to obey him. He tells the Philippians to keep obeying. I'm not there anymore, but keep obeying. Listen to this. It's a little bit of a paragraph, but it's so helpful. It says, it is this long obedience in the same direction, which Christianity has often been described as that, a long obedience in the same direction. That's what Christianity is, right? You may have heard before that Christianity is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? Hope you've heard that before. You may have heard this before. It's a, it's a famous proverb. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Have you ever heard that? If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Meaning, this takes more than just what I have. This takes more than just my determination. I know it sounds awesome to say in the world that your singular focused determination will take you as far as you want to, but if you know anything about living for God, that's just not true. The road of people trying to blaze a trail by themselves for Jesus is loaded with people who've burned out and quit. America and churches in America are full of people who used to go hard, who used to obey. It's a painful conversation, and it's one that we hate to bring up. But the road is full of people on the sidelines that used to. And we used to serve. We used to help. We used to host Bible studies. We used to go to Sunday school. Man, we used to obey. They won't use that word. That's way too much on the toes. That's kind of like smear the toes down into the ground. But they, it, what they're meaning is we used to be more obedient. The Bible's wanting us to know that if you're looking around to see where your obedience should come from, guess what? It's pretty easy to find lots of excuses of why we're not obedient. Can we be honest about that? If you're looking around to the other people in your life in this town, in South Louisville, who are Christians and aren't obedient anymore, well, guess what? You'll be able to find thousands that aren't as obedient as you. They're not even here today. They're not even in church on a Sunday morning, and yet they're still Christian. And so you can find a way to make yourself feel good about the little bit of obedience that you have. But we are not to look around and see the obedience that is motivated by things this way. We are to look at the obedience of Christ and his great love for us and that he gave his life for us, and we are to say, I want to obey God because he loves me, because he's my father in heaven. Listen to this quote. It is this long obedience in the same direction which the mood of the world does so much to discourage. When the path of obedience to Christ becomes steep and dangerous, pleasure seekers look for an easier way. Religious tourists hunting for sensational entertainment, instantaneous enlightenment, and emotional excitement will jump on the newest rides and take quick shortcuts. But they will not be found with pilgrims on the long, hard road following in the footsteps of Christ, who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Paul's call here to unflagging Christ-like obedience will not be popular in a world that so highly values going fast and having fun and so quickly rejects enduring pain and submitting to authority. But the essential characteristic of the wise who build their community on Christ is their consistent obedience to Jesus. Folks, can we be honest here today that you know the Bible tells you to obey God? Can we not water it down? God wants us to obey him. He does not say that if you don't obey him that you are no chance of being saved. He offers forgiveness on top of forgiveness on top of forgiveness. He never runs out of love and mercy. He will forgive you. But when we love God and we disobey him, we don't like that we disobeyed him, and so we obey obey by repenting. Do you understand that your disobedience is an opportunity for you to model obedience? Your bad stuff is a way for you to show good stuff by repenting. When you mess up at home or mess up at work or mess up in your relationships or mess up in your heart and sin against Almighty God, it is a chance for you to hit your knees and cry out to God and say, God, forgive me and thank you for the mercy that there is in Christ. When you offend your neighbor or offend your family or do something that you know is wrong, it is an opportunity for you to say, hey, I apologize for that. I shouldn't have. I know better than. Forgive me. And there is forgiveness. But indifference toward that, acting like it's okay or everybody else does it or whatever, shows that you're not that big on obedience and you're not that bothered by disobedience and therefore you don't understand the love of God at work in your life. We are to be an obedient church. So that's what he says. He calls them an obedient church. But secondly, they are to be an obedient church that is, number two, a working church. Working to obey. It's a good word. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, look at this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Their obedience is to be a workout. Their obedience is to be a workout. I don't know if you work out or not, but if you ever have worked out, you usually leave the workout going, whew, what my butt today, sweating, tired, feeling it. And you consider for a second, like, man, I don't know if I want to do that again. But then you realize that was good for me, that helped. And you understand that the workout was not necessarily the most enjoyable thing in the world, but all things considered, it was awesome. And when we talk about being obedient to God, he uses the word work out. Work out. Strive. Go hard. Be focused. Be diligent. Be disciplined at obeying God. You cannot coast into obedience. You cannot coast into living a life that honors God. So he uses the word work out. It's interesting. He says work out though in a way that brings with it the heaviness because he says with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. 
with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is a word that's been discussed here so, so often because people want to try to mean that this is a bad thing or that we're motivated by uh, being scared of God, and that's just not the truth. The Bible teaches us in a good, healthy way that there is a reverence, there is a respect, there is an awe for God. We so recognize God to be good and grand and awesome and beautiful and holy and flawless and perfect that we know sin offends him, and so we don't want to. I remember one of the birthday parties that we were having, Val made this awesome cake. She worked hard on it. I mean, I think she stayed up late in the night. She made this incredible cake. And I remember when we were taking it out of the house on this big platter type of thing to the car, I remember I asked one of our boys to carry it to the car. And it flashed before my eyes what would happen to me and my son if we had dropped that. Now, we didn't drop it, all right? That's not a bad story. But you understand what I mean with, boy, if you would have dropped that, you would have got it, right? Just this healthy idea of don't drop it, right? Just a good healthy idea of don't drop it. If you drop it, it doesn't mean vows mean. It means you shouldn't have dropped it. Okay? You should have been more careful. And of course, we know accidents happen. I'm not talking about an accident. I'm talking about the wisdom that says I shouldn't have carried it. But there is a sense that all of you know of, especially if you've ever had an adult in your life that you knew loved you and disciplined you, whether that's a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a teacher, a boss, or whatever, there is a good, healthy sense in life where we say, I want to obey because I ought to obey. That's what this means with fear and trembling. Now, I don't want you to turn there, but I just want to read a couple passages that embody this a little bit better. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 says this, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul? Does everybody see that? Fear him, love him, obey him with all your heart. Does anybody have a problem with that? No, you get what it means. It doesn't mean that God's walking around as a bully ready to get you. No. It's this good view of him that says he deserves my obedience. There are passages that speak like that. We know that when Paul writes to the church that they are to be obedient, how are they to be obedient? They are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, as a church, we know that the things that the Apostle Paul is calling the church to are serious things. It's talking about there being offenses in our midst and yet working through it patiently, exercising forgiveness. It's talking about us being willing to sacrifice where sacrifice is needed. It's talking of us dealing with things like parenting issues and marriage issues and money issues and anger issues and sin issues. All the things that are happening in our lives, all the things that are real in this fallen world, all the things that come about in the Christian life, it is talking about us striving together, working hard to be obedient in those situations. You remember at the beginning when I said it's not an individual emphasis on obedience, but it is a collective emphasis on obedience? That's what he's meaning. 
You and I are to work hard, or rather work out at being obedient with each other because we know God, because we look to him, because we believe him. We are to be a working church. Now, it's really common, listen, in life, whatever age you are, to find things that you're good at and really, really want to do those, and then to see the things that you're not good at and really, really, really not want to do those. Man, if you wanted to roll out a soccer ball right now, my little Noah would jump all in it. He'd want to get out there. He'd want to show you how he can play some soccer and all that. But yesterday, me and Noah went to a roller skating party. And Noah had only roller skated one time in his life, and you couldn't get him out there to roller skate for nothing. Normally, if there's a situation for Noah to go out there and show you what he can do, he'll do it. But if it's something he's not so good at, he just would rather not, right? Well, in Christianity, in the body of Christ, you and I need to admit there's some things that we're not that good at. Isn't that true? If you're going to get this many people together to try to strive together in one direction for the glory of God, to look like a witness to Christ in the world and his ways, guess what? There's going to be some tension at times. There's going to be some offense. There's going to be some, mm, that kind of makes me feel, right? There's going to be some of that. And you know what the answer is? Work hard at it with fear and trembling because you are God's beloved people who loves you with the beautiful example of Christ who was always obedient, with the power of God's spirit working in you who creates obedience. Work out, work out. The obedient church is to be a working church. And lastly, number three, the obedient working church, listen, is able to be obedient, working church because they are a godly church. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you. It is not just a command of God to be that way, but it is a command of God to be the way that God is working in you. The beautiful, beautiful, obvious emphasis of Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is what I have written in the Bible. We are to work out what God is working in. Work out what God is working in us. If God is working in us, then this sermon today makes sense. We are longing to be obedient and obey outwardly what God is working inside of us. You're sitting here today going, that's what I want, Josh. I want to obey God. I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a part of the solutions here and not a part of the problems here. I want my life to help move our church in that long direction of obedience. I want that because God is working in us. But for those who don't have God working in them, the call to be obedience really goes in one ear and out the other. You can leave today and no, no shorter than lunch being a little bit disappointing. Find yourself walking in disobedience. No short of hearing some needs in the church and you not being moved by it. Find yourself moving in disobedience because it is not God working in you. Paul tells the church to obey and to work hard at obeying because we know that God is working in his church. God is working. Now, we know that God is working. The Bible says that. 
So what you are to recognize here today is what it looks like when God is working. When God is working, there is an incredible, crystal clear focus on Jesus. Trying to do church and trying to do obedience without your eyes on Jesus Christ is a clear sign that it's not really God working. It is a man-made effort, and it will frustrate, frustrate, frustrate. It will divide, it will divide, it will divide, and it will increase, it will, it will increase burnout. You will find people who say, well, I used to do that, but the source was not Jesus. Jesus being the source means he's the vine and we're the branches, and the source never runs out. In Psalm 127, which I think you all know, you don't have to turn there, but there's a statement here that speaks directly to this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build the house labor in vain. You can try all you want to to build a house, but if God is not letting you build the house, you will not be able to build a house. And you can try all you want to to obey God and create obedience in the church, but if it's not God working in you, you will find people getting offended and getting divisive and talking behind people's back and offending and, uh, and dividing over offensive and division, and it just multiplies. But when Jesus is the source, meaning God is working in us, and when Jesus is the source, it means that we are quick to repent. We are not easily offended. We offer up apologies for those that we even may have offended, and we exercise the love of God in the midst of us, then we finally then start to look like a body of Christ that God is working in. So the bigger emphasis of this passage is obedience, and while obedience and working is an emphasis here, the bigger emphasis is that those things flow out of God working in us, which means us pastors have to work really hard to make sure you guys are focused on Jesus. We have to make sure that we see God working in us. We have to make sure that we are a humble people, focused on Christ, repentant of our sins, so that what's working in us will produce what's working out of us. A godly church that is a working church that is an obedient church. Listen to this. Paul is well aware that the work of building the community of believers is frustrating when selfish ambitions and self-interest shred the fabric of the community. Paul's aware of that, as you and I are. Workers burn out and give up in such discouraging situations. But Paul gives the builders of the Christian community in Philippi a very good reason to have supreme confidence that their work is not in vain. For God originally initiated, presently sustains, and ultimately will complete all their work by his indwelling power. Listen to this. All of the capabilities of God are in operation, are active, and are effective in the work of believers. If the Bible says that God works in us, then you and I should be encouraged to go work out obedience. You know, it is so refreshing when you get to see Christians being obedient. And we've kind of been conditioned to be so nervous, so on eggshell around people that we're afraid that we're going to offend them. 
We're afraid that they're going to lash out or they're going to react wrongly or they're going to overreact. We are so conditioned to be that way that now that we don't know the beauty and the glory of God in how refreshing it is that somebody would be obedient. Yeah, I'll give you an example that really doesn't speak to it, but it's pretty lighthearted. You know, nowadays we all have to do sticky notes and we got calendars, and we got reminders, and we got reminders for our reminders so that we don't miss something, right? And that's how we live. And even half the time, with all that going on, we still miss it, right? And we've learned, for whatever reason, that at times we're just not that dependable. And nothing is such a letdown as you needing somebody to depend on and them not being dependable, right? Well, do you remember how it used to be with your dad or your grandpa? I mean, you tell them like in January that you need somebody to show up on March the 10th at 10 a.m. and they didn't have a sticky note or a phone or a calendar or anything and you hadn't talked in two months, you didn't remind them the night before with a text and March the 10th at 10 a.m. rolled around and guess who was there right there on the dot? And isn't it refreshing when you can depend on somebody? Isn't it refreshing when somebody says, yeah, I'll do it, and they do it? Isn't it refreshing when somebody says, hey, you need some help in the nursery? I'll be there, I'll be on time. I love kids. Change diapers. I clean up, spit up. I can handle a crying baby. That's what I do. Church needs it. I'll do it. And isn't it so refreshing when somebody has that attitude? And isn't it, isn't it so not refreshing when they don't show up or they don't do their job or they let you down? And so now the person that was here to, to cook dinner has to go work in the nursery and they were so excited to cook dinner. And now the person that was here to, to teach tonight that was so excited about teaching has to be pulled out. And the person that was here tonight to be taught and they just, man, they've had a hard week and they just can't wait to hear somebody teach the word to them tonight. But now I gotta ask them to go work in the nursery because of that, right? And you see how like a drain it is when obedience is lacking? And how small, a th listen, how small a thing is nursery compared to a kid who's waiting for dad to come home, play with him, and now he doesn't come home. Compared to a God who says, beloved, obey, and are not obedient. When a world when a world is searching, when a world is searching to know what is this life all about. And they look to people who claim to know God and they don't see any joyful obedience. Like obedience is questionable. Now I realize you're thinking, I don't have to obey because God forgives me. The Bible teaches that our obedience flows from our focus on him. So the obvious here today is an absence of obedience is pointing to an absence of faith. We can disobey and turn back to God. But if we're okay with not obeying, we must be okay with not believing. And this is the heart of the issue. Life is hard and life is complicated. And God tells us that he is the source, not us. And as he works in us, we work out to obey him.
Church, may we here today look at Jesus. May you renew your faith. May you say, I know that you love me, God. And may you want to obey. May you understand that your obedience isn't earning you anything. Can we please remember that? You're not earning anything with God. There are no works that get you there. You are saved by faith, not by works, lest anyone can boast. You know those verses. Your works aren't getting you anywhere. But they are speaking to what you're trusting in. Why you obey is such a beautiful thing. Those kids that were sitting in chapel, several years later, Val and I were back at the seminary for something. And we ran into the parents, who I told you he was a professor. And the kids were all like grown now. I think some were even married. We talked to them. And we reminded them just how beautiful it was to see them as little kids sitting obediently in chapel. I told them that even now, as a struggling parent of five, I'm encouraged that obedience means something. And they said, well, thank you. They said something to, well, we worked really hard for our kids to be obedient. And it shows you that obedience speaks more to what's going on in the background, what's going on on the inside, what's going on. Now, you and I know that there is types of obedience that aren't from the heart. We know that. We know that if you say, hey, you need to go apologize to your sister, they walk over there and go, sorry, and they walk back, and you're like, well, that's not really what we're aiming for, right? We know all that stuff. We're not trying to be a good people in the community who always do the right thing. I'm not preaching that, and surely you get it. We're talking about those whose hearts are set on God who loves us. And by our faith in him, we want to obey. And we want all of those around us, in our homes, on our teams, to see us as obedient, and then for us to be able to tell them, it's not us. It's not us. It's God in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the call to obey. Thank you for the encouragement to the Philippian church that they always obey. And Father, help us too. God, thank you for the fresh, fresh encouragement that even when we disobey, we can repent and you welcome us back and there is restoration and acceptance and forgiveness for all those who turn to you. And we can do that 70 times seven times. Father, thank you for your mercy that never runs out and your love that is everlasting. Father, we pray here today that you would work in us the desire to obey because we love you.